Welcome to On The Couches. We're so excited to have you joining us today, whether it be on our podcast or whether it be on YouTube. It means the world to us that you're here. Our desire in this podcast is to wrestle through the Bible in a way that it will make sense to us today. Truth is that so many things happen in this idea of Christianity or theology that makes it feel like, man, this is like a 2,000-year-old book. How does it apply to me today in 2021? And so our desire through this podcast is to wrestle through these big concepts of spirituality, these big concepts of religion, big concepts of theology, but wrestle through it in a way that you can actually apply it to your life life today. Now, I'm pumped. Listen, I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm hanging out with uh, the usual crowd, Jonathan, our communications pastor, and John, our um, worship and creative arts pastor. And it gets, it gets confusing uh, with the, the amount of, I mix up John and Jonathan all the time. Mm. That's why Jonathan's called Jonathan, so that there's right. at least, JB for or sure. JB for yeah. short, we'll yeah. do that. Uh, so exciting, guys. Excited for our conversation today. Today, we're talking about this idea of why do we need to be saved? You know, the Christian term would be salvation, right? Why, why do we have this salvation experience? Why do we need to be saved? Now, off the cuff, talk to me. Have you ever actually been saved from something other than the spiritual sense? Have you ever actually been, like, saved? Oh, man, this feels like JB would have so many different stories. Like, you know, weren't you in a moment, like, dressed up like an angel? So was there a salvation there that happened to you? Perhaps you were going around to people's houses, Giving them Hershey's uh, my, kisses. My therapist says that I shouldn't bring this up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it re-triggers the this trauma. Is, this isn't healthy. I okay. So I grew up in Sudbury, yeah, Northern Ontario, Nickel City. Come on, somebody. Um, it's a great place to, to grow up. Great place to leave. Great, great and, place to come from. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Great place to come from, but not to be no show. No, no, Sudbury, Sudbury's great. great. Sudbury's great. We love all our northern friends. That's right. Northern Ontario is fantastic. My family still lives up there, but. Um, when you grow up in Sudbury, it is tradition every single year. You're going to the old mines and you're going down to the mine shafts and you're doing the tours and it's like a school trip thing. Like every year you just, you can count on, but I was homeschooled. So my school trip was like me and my brother. Can we just pause go- for a second? You were homeschooled? That explains right. so much. Oh, I thought you were just saying, wow, you've gone so far. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you've come that, so yeah. far. Anyways, and so my brother and I are going with my mom to like the, the Big Nickel. If you guys have been to the Big Nickel, it's super underwhelming. But And and uh, I've always got these friends that are driving through Sudbury. They're like, what do we do? I'm like, go to the Big Nickel. And they text me like 20 minutes later like, thanks. That was awesome. Um, and so we're there. And I distinctly remember having a moment where... Um, I, I had no idea where like our group was and just kind of like being super, super lost and getting really, really scared, really, really like frightened. I can't have been older than like six or seven. I don't know, but, or 13 or 13 or 18. Um, no. And, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like, where are they? Where are they? Where are they? And legitimately I had just like just stayed in a room and they had moved on to the other room. But I was convinced it was over. I was like, <laughs> it's gone, it's done. And my brother like poked his head back and was like, you, you coming? You coming? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't just have a mini anxiety attack. I'm fine. It's fine. I'm fine. Shout out Josh Wilkinson. <laughs> I think you have a really good story of when like you were lost and they had to send out a search party. Yeah, yeah. I, I legitimately, I'm in the newspapers. If you go back, I don't know to what year that would be, but you go back to when I was in grade five, right? Mm. Um, our church group went on a, a, a nature hike yes. into the Gatineau Hills, right? Oh, wow. And so Gatineau Hills is this beautiful spot just in Quebec and it's these gorgeous hills that you can go for walks and it was the fall, so it was like really, really pretty. 
what I'm in grade five, who cares about any of that? <laughs> right? Like yeah. none of that matters. Like I don't care about how beautiful it is or how nature it is. All I cared about was like, we're out. I'm away from parents. And so some friends and I, we, we did the opposite of you. We actually snuck away from the group. So while the group was out doing their things and like looking at Moss, we're like, we're out of here. And we became pirates and did whatever we wanted to do. Like we were just having fun out here in the woods. And, but what happened was, is that we totally at 11 years old, 12 years old, got completely lost. No idea where we were, no idea like how to get back. And we just did the opposite of what they tell you to do. We just kept walking. We just kept walking and nice. walking. Figured, oh, yeah, I'm sure this path will get us back. It didn't. And it got later and later in the day. And the, the, the sun went down. We actually found a hunting cabin, like a little tiny hunting cabin. We broke into it. And we had a fire because it was freezing cold that night. And we actually, I, I was the first person in the history of Gatineau uh, to be lost overnight in the Gatineau Hills. Yeah. And they had to send out, they sent out helicopters. They sent out search parties. They had to call the search off in the middle of the night because it was too dangerous to be out there. And then we were found at like 10 o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning as we were walking Boom. the trails trying to find our way back. Boom. We got picked up and got driven back and I think my poor parents had to stay in a in a, a truck bed or, or sorry in their car all night long scared thinking that we were we were lost and so yeah I got saved I got rescued from uh, Gatineau Park uh, Rangers and they yeah. rescued us um, and it was it was awesome could you imagine could you imagine being the youth pastor oh yeah right yeah. I mean well, the, the question that I would have fired you know a question I have for you mainly would be did you look up whether somebody had been lost and, and overnight rescued in Gatineau beforehand. And were you like, nobody's ever done that before? This is what we're doing. I want to be the guy. Let's go. <laughs> Listen, man. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is like 40 years of me hiding that. So don't oh, tell no. Oh, fair. Yeah. Premeditated. <laughs> and yeah, we're no, very was, proud of him. Very proud. Very proud. I, I still have the newspaper article at home where it was all written up and all that stuff was there. And it's, yeah. I just feel so bad now that I'm in full-time ministry and I've done youth ministry. Like, There's very few rules we place on youth pastors. Not losing one of the kids. Pretty, pretty, sure. like, yeah. should be self-explanatory. Always a staple. Yeah. Right? And that's not really a And that poor youth pastor lost four kids <laughs> like, mm. yeah i don't know why he wasn't working there the week after it makes no sense <laughs> shocking uh, oh my God. i don't even know what the youth name was but i sure feel sorry for him anyways we're going to talk today about uh salvation this is a big conversation a big topic you hear in churches all the time right uh i don't know maybe you've been to a classical evangelical church where mm. you the pastor preaches a message and then at the end of his message he's like who wants to get saved here? And he's like, if you feel God calling you or if you, you feel like you need to be saved, I want you to lift your hand and usually do the countdown like in three because God can only save people in those moments. Or three, two, one. Peter never asked for this. But either way, they'll do it and then the, sure. the person will lift their hand for salvation and then, then they trick you. Like, okay, if you lifted your hand, I want you to get up and walk forward and then they lead you in a prayer and they always throw in that like if you're too embarrassed to walk forward, Christ will be embarrassed of you. Like they do something to wow. manipulate you. Um, and so this idea of salvation, now that may be one experience that a lot of us can relate to if we grew up in the 80s, 90s of, of Christianity, even the early 2000s, even 2021. But, <laughs> but um, what is the salvation experience? What does it mean to actually be saved? What, why is that a valuable thing? What, why do Christians and Christ followers hold on to this concept mm -hmm. of salvation, that that 
I have been saved by Christ. So before we jump into the theology of it, I did want to take a second and just in, in, in like a minute and a half, two minutes, which Slater, that's going to be really hard for you. Super hard. Oh Can boy. you tell me the basis of your salvation story here? Sure. For me, um, I was actually saved at a really young age. I think I was like seven years old. Um, and I think like I didn't fully understand if I'm being truly honest, um, you know, the weight of it, but I was born in a church, essentially. I was born on a pew, right? Like I, I grew up in the church. And so like knowing about God was just second nature to me. Um, but it wasn't until a missionary came, um, and kind of, uh, like opened my eyes to the fact that there's hurting people out there. Um, and, and it actually kind of in that moment, I was like, my life is not just about me and what I can get. My life is about mm-hmm. bringing other people into a relationship. I, I realized, mm-hmm. you know, at a young age, how much privilege I have to be in the family of God. Mm-hmm. And I wanted other people to experience that. Um, and so I, I feel like in different seasons of my life, I've come back to that realization. Um, and um, maybe I've, I've not necessarily walked away from my salvation, but I haven't appreciated it. And so wow. I've come back to it in different seasons of my life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, so it, that it, I was, it was very young, um, mm-hmm. but uh, it's been, it's been an ongoing process. My right. salvation. It's a journey. I think that's something that I've struggled to understand because I think most of us, we have a discrete experience where we feel like we made that decision for Jesus um, but a lot of people haven't experienced that specific moment or they can't pinpoint that moment, but they're on a journey of faith towards the Lord and they would acknowledge him and we'll get into that theology in a bit. But yeah, so for me, I mean, this is the 45 minute version producer Isaiah will just edit it down. So if it gets really choppy, you know, you just cut, 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 cut. Uh, no, I was young as well. Like, uh, I would have been probably about five, I think five or six. I, I was so blessed with like this amazing, um, amazing mom and dad that raised us so, so well in the faith. Both of my parents had come into like a real genuine relationship with Jesus later in life. And so they had really appreciated the before and the after of having Jesus um, and having a relationship with him. And so um, they raised both my brother and I really intentionally um, with the word and, and we, you know, we'll, we can have, you know, all the, all the jokes if we want to about like, oh yeah, the guy that's the worship pastor, like he would spend an hour just soaking on the bed cause that's how his parents raised him. But I really that's valued cool. that. Yeah. Like it's really, awesome. really important. Like my parents would just like put on a, a Keith Green tape and they'd be like, Hey, okay, you don't even have to stay awake. You can sleep, but we're going to take an hour together as a family. We're just going to lay down in the living room on the couch or on the bed. And we're just going to like allow the Lord to speak to us. Um, and I think that definitely was like wasted on like a really young person. Like I was like, okay, I'm just going to lay here for a little bit, but it, it definitely taught, taught me the, uh, the discipline of listening to the yeah. voice of God. And as a young, as a young, young person, I remember my dad, he would read us scripture every single night before we went to bed. And so I remember being, you know, in, uh, my parents' bed, like this queen size bed at this old house in Lively, my dad reading scripture and me being like, I want to. I want to know that Jesus guy. Like, I want to have a relationship with him. And so my dad's like, oh. And I, I, you know, having had that moment now with my kids, well, our oldest, Joelle, it's like, ah, oh, you know, what a proud moment that is to be able to lead your your kid into their relationship with Jesus. Um, I didn't realize how amazing that was for my dad at the time. I just, you know, wanted to kind of go in through that. And so big celebration, big party. Um, but it didn't really mean anything to me 
uh, outside of the fact that I felt like felt good. This is awesome. This is kind of like what I've been raised in. I remember distinctly at 12 years old sitting at a, at a, a summer camp and having a, a, a camp counselor. His name was Dan Henderson. And I distinctly remember him talking about how God wanted to have like uh, his own relationship with us, not our parents' relationship for us or our grandparents' relationship or our pastor's relationship, but he actually wanted to know us uniquely and individually. And it really resonated with me. And that was that was definitely for sure like the, the beginning of my journey with the Lord actively, where, you know, from that point I said, Jesus, like I want to have my own relationship with you, and then said yes to getting water baptized, and then eventually got to experience the baptism in Holy Spirit and began to kind of walk forward in like my own relationship with the Lord. That is awesome. Now, my story, I've shared my story so many times, so I don't need to jump to her, but grew up in a family that did go to church, attended church. God was part of our, our journey, but not maybe, maybe not central, um, but a big part of it. And then for a few years after, actually, I got lost and kind of got that youth pastor fired and everything else. Uh, we had a few years of where just it didn't seem as a priority. And in that process, I went off the deep end. So I found Jesus at 17 years old, where God just stepped into my life and my existence. Um, and really, I can say the words like, to me, he really did save me. He really did rescue me. At that point in my life, as a 17-year-old kid, you know, fully developed into rebellion, developed into, to, you know, trying to be, you know, all those things that you can be as a 17-year-old kid with all the attitude, all the arrogance, not doing well in school. Um, he really stepped into my existence and rescued me from that position and put me on a path towards, you know, God, put me on a path towards love, grace, mercy, took out anger out of my life, mm -hmm. a bunch of those things, and really shipped and shaped who I was going to be, shifted and shaped who I was going to be and transformed my life. So to me, it really mm -hmm. is like that, that salvation story because if, <clears throat> I think without Christ, I would have gone, continued down a, a very dangerous path and possibly made choices that would have hurt my, my long-term future. Mm -hmm. Whereas when Christ stepped into my reality, he rescued me from those things. Was one of those choices to have a perm? Was that? No, I never had to have a perm. My hair, my hair was so curly. Uh, oh, naturally curly. Naturally curly. All had, the photos had, that I've seen. Uh, Producer Isaiah, you can just throw some of those photos. Yeah, no, we're not throwing to... those photos oh, okay, up. Those, those cool. are, but yes, I, I, had, I had an afro. Big, big afro. Can we do like uh, before Jesus, after Jesus, post montage of like the afro and then no afro? Yeah, yeah no, no. Actually, I had a huge afro when I was a youth pastor at KRT. Like yes. it was wow. massive. I've got we don't least, talk about that. I've got at least three of those photos on we're, my phone. Yes, we're not talking about that. Those were awkward teenage years. That <laughs> you were that, an adult when you had that. Yes, <laughs> or, yeah, that's true too. Um, so salvation, right? This idea, like, like all of us, whether or not you know, you guys grew up in the church and had mm -hmm. phenomenal parental heritage. Um, there's still this reality that Christ has saved us, mm -hmm. right? And so I want to dig into that theology a little bit. Now, there's a couple of presuppositions that we all, the three of us, operate from in a theological persuasion, right? That we should be honest with that at the beginning. We believe in the concept of free choice, right? So our, our theological position here is that Christ and God, when created us, gave us the opportunity to choose grace or reject grace. Mm -hmm. God offers grace to all, but we have the choice to receive it. We have the choice to walk away from it or to reject it. Now, that's a huge theological perspective uh, that we don't really have a ton of time to dig into, but that, that influences our understanding of salvation, right? So in order to really wrestle through salvation, um, 
we got to go back to the very, very, very beginning, right? So the very first book, first few chapters in the Bible, Genesis, right? It gets into creation, mankind. Um, it, it gets into why God created. And so we have this belief system that we sit in that God created all of us. He created us in his image, which, which doesn't necessarily mean like God has a finger and a thumb the way we have it, but he created us in his image in the sense that we have love and, and, and compassion. We have a spirit. We, we can receive spiritual things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he created us to have that. When he created man and Adam and Eve, he created them, and there's a story in the Bible where Adam and Eve are hanging out in the garden, a place God created specifically for them. It's, it's paradise here on earth. Uh, he created them, this is also really important, he created them with the intent of relationship, right? Like that's so important to understand that God's intention in, in humanity was never about control, never about manipulation, never about forced love or, or, or servanthood. His entire purpose of creation was that he would be in relationship with his creation. You know, you read in Genesis 3 that God actually like is walking through the garden. You read in Genesis that he's he's actually having community and, and, and conversations with, with Adam and, and, and naming of the animals and, and, and building Eve and all of this really awesome stuff. It's, it's not done in isolation. It's done in relationship and community. And, and this was God's actual perfect intent was that God would have this relationship with this humanity that he created. And so we have this story where where God created humanity and Adam and Eve are sitting in this garden, this paradise, this perfect place of, of relationship. And in this spot... The enemy of our souls, whatever name we want to use, uh, the devil, Beluzebub, like there's there's so many other different oh. names that are thrown out there. You know, the guy with the red pitchfork, which isn't necessarily true either. Um, but but this this enemy of God, this fallen angel, which is a whole nother conversation, steps into this existence and he challenges Eve and Adam to walk in rebellion, to choose to put their destiny in their own hands, choose to, to do something in direct rebellion to what God had asked them to do. And he uses, it's really interesting, he uses doubt, which is super common when, when how the enemy still works on us today, is, is doubt, did God really, really say, right? Um, and he manipulates or, or entices this, these people to go against God's prescribed plan, his, his desire. And in doing so, what we have is sin has entered into creation. And so the very first question that gets asked all the time is, why would God let Satan, the devil, do that? Why, why would he not just protect them and not let sin to even have the opportunity, right? If you believe God is all-knowing and believe that God sees the beginning and the future, which we believe, um, then God knew that humanity was going to fail. Why would, he, why would he let Satan in or why would he create them if he knew they were going to fail? Do you guys have any thoughts towards that? Uh, I, I believe that um, God created humanity, like you said, for a relationship. And so relationship can't be forced. Or, That's right. Right? It has, to be, it has to be by free will. If you love them, you'll let them go. There we go. <laughs> Falls in our stars. Right? And so we... we we choose consciously, you know, whether or not mm. we make good or bad decisions. Mm. Um, and that, that good or bad is relative to the decision. But in, in this instance um, of Adam and Eve, they, they had the choice to walk in relationship and obedience with God 
or they could walk away from that. And they made the decision um, to sin, and as a result, that sin entered the world. That condition exists um, across the board, right? Now, all of you are parents, right? You're both parents. I'm a parent. We know this to be true in parenting, right? I know that I can't force my kids to love me. Mm -hmm. Because if I do, then their love for me isn't authentic. That's right. Right, I, I can force and demand their 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 obedience. Mm-hmm. I can be aggressive and and you know um, super strict and force them to act in a way I want them to act. I can use fear or strength or any of those those things to to manipulate what I want from them. Mm-hmm. But I can't force somebody because as soon as I force them to love me, the truth is that it's not authentic. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, love hinges on the mutuality of affection. Right? At the end of the day when we're creating the image of God, we're created with this relational, emotional capacity. And, and it actually means that the relationship that we walk in with him is so much more beautiful yeah. than, than if it was forced, right? Like technically yeah. if it's forced, that's actually, you know, so many different things. I mean, like if, if you were to force me to love you, that's manipulative, that's abusive, that's all the things that we know that God isn't. And so exactly. his actual character hinges on the fact that he allows love to be something that is freely given and freely chosen. So, so that's, in my opinion, that's where I sit as to why God let Satan do what he's doing, right? Mm-hmm. Because to do anything else creates these robots who, who generally are abused and don't have freedom, mm-hmm. right? Which is against who God is, right? Mm-hmm. He's not an abuser. So God allows Satan to step in. Satan steps into this scenario. This sin happens. Humanity falls. Mm-hmm. And God's response in that is so interesting, right? Immediately Adam and Eve's response is, God's going to kill us, right? Like, again, it feels kind of like a parenting situation, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. It feels like my kids, like they, they do something wrong, they break something, and they're like, we got to hide it because dad's going to kill us, right? Mm-hmm. And there's times where like, yeah, I do want to kill them. But a lot of time it's more like, no, 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 what's important here is that I don't want the relationship broken, mm-hmm. right? But their response is God's going to kill us, and they hide, right? They actually make clothing. Mm-hmm. They realize for the first time that they're naked. They make clothing and cover themselves, uh, which is what we do when we sin, right? Like we not necessarily make clothing, but we cover ourselves. We, we come up with lies. We come up with mindsets to justify it. Mm-hmm. They cover themselves. They hide. They hide from God. They run away from God. They actually go and hide in bushes, right? Which is so like, again, we still do that today, right? We do something we know is wrong. We don't do our devotions the next day because we feel like, oh, I shouldn't go to God or I shouldn't read the Bible. I shouldn't pray because we feel this guilt and condemnation. And what we see in the Bible is God actually comes into the garden and he's actually actively looking for them, which is kind of comical to think again, and God knows everything, like he's taking time intentionally to look. He would know where they are, but there's a principle he's teaching. No, no, I want you. I'm not just going to call you out. I'm going to call for you to come to me. I'm going to teach you that that you can run to me in your sin, in your brokenness, right? And they hide and he finds them and he's like, who told you you were these things? And they explain what took place. And in that moment, God sets up one of the most powerful pictures that we have. And he sets up that, look, yes, there is sin and there is brokenness and the enemy did this, but I'm going to send a redeemer. I'm going to send, you know, he doesn't say Jesus, but I, I'm going to send Jesus who is going to redeem or going to restore, bring restoration back to the relationship that we have today, that we once had. And that's going to come. Sin has entered. There is a division. There's a brokenness. There's a breaking down of this relationship. I, God, who is fully holy, cannot sit in the presence of, of, of unholiness in that sense. And so he's like, we will bring restoration 
to this relationship, and it's going to come through the man of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's, that's how we get to this concept. So, so salvation um, ha- has a lot of huge depth to it, right? There's salvation of like, um, you know, like the, there's a lot, if you grew up in, in the 90s with like the teachings on hell, right? Like you preach really heavy, like you're going to hell if you don't know Jesus. And we do believe that, okay? So, so that's another presupposition that we sit in. And I get asked this all the time, why would a loving God send somebody to hell? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm doing all the talking. Yeah, no, I, I think you touched on it, though. It's the, the very nature of God is that he is a holy God. And, and as a result, the things that he does stemming from his nature lead us into a place of knowing him in a beautiful and real sense. It's amazing. But the inverse reality of that is that as a holy God... He cannot be a part of something that is not wholly, completely devoted to him. And so, you know, as we would work towards defining something like sin, which would be something that separates us from God, something that puts our will in the place of God, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden we run into this very real reality that as we choose to put our own will in the place of God's will, we're separating ourselves from a holy God. And so, yeah, 100%, he sends Jesus as the propitiation, a little Bible college term, but as the sacrifice, right, as, as somebody who can stand in the way of the, uh, the holiness of God meeting our lack of holiness and can be the avenue for us to become holy. Mm-hmm. But this is the, the dip most difficult thing, because we've wrestled this as a church for the last maybe two or three decades, and, and longer. This, this debate is not like a brand new debate. This is something that the church has had conversations, you know, for the last couple thousand years. But you wrestle the very real reality that it's like, well, that doesn't, it doesn't seem to line up with the nature and the character of God that, um, like, I'm not that bad of a person. And, mm. and like, he would, he would probably, like, he's, he's still, he's so loving. He's so good. He's so gracious. He's so merciful. There's no, there's no way that, like, yeah, I, I get it. Like, I haven't actually walked forward in repentance for this. And I haven't actually mm-hmm. claimed the blood of Jesus as the sacrifice over my life so that I can be made holy by the presence of God. I, I, but there's no way that he would actually do that. And it's like, it's not even him doing that. God doesn't send people to hell. He just says, I want a relationship with you, but you have to actually access that relationship with me. And I can't deny who I am or this whole thing doesn't work. That's right. Yeah, sin separates us from God, right? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so the the decision that was made with Adam and Eve to commit that sin separated them from the, the purity and the holiness of God. And as a result, that sin nature exists today. You know, Adam and Eve in the garden were meant to live in relationship for eternity on mm-hmm. earth. But because of their sin, they, you know... They, the Bible says that they had to die, right? And so sin separates from uh, us from God, mm-hmm. and we, you know, the wages of sin is death. And so, um, yes, we live with that reality that something had to die, mm-hmm. right? And so we see throughout the Old Testament that they actually had to com- uh, offer up a sacrifice. They had to offer up a pure lamb as as a sacrifice right. instead of the sin nature, right? You know, so. I'm yes, I I'm going to die. My body's going to die. But in order to have um, eternity with Jesus, I had to I had to offer up a sacrifice, a death, whether that be a lamb or you know a bird or whatever. Right. Symbolic um, of me. That's right. The symbolic mm-hmm. of that you know that 
took the stead of my sin, right? Mm -hmm. And that was an ongoing sacrifice, mm -hmm. but that wasn't the perfect sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why God sent his son, Jesus, to live on earth as a human and sacrifice him mm -hmm. so that we could have an eternity with him. So we no longer have to offer up burnt incense or sacrifices, mm -hmm. right? As that symbolism, that, that act of Jesus dying on the cross was that sacrifice for our sin. Right, and I love this, and this is reading ahead in the story just a touch, but mm -hmm. the reality that it says that Jesus ascended after he sacrificed himself so that we could have a relationship with the Lord, mm -hmm. ascended and now sits at the right hand of the Father, mediating on our behalf. And I love to imagine the reality, like when I make a mistake or when I allow my ideologies to get in the place of God's truth or when I begin to actually like separate myself actively from the relationship that I have with the Lord. Mm -hmm. I just love to imagine like Jesus at the right hand of the father being like, ah, but remember what I did for him. Right. Remember the sacrifice that I made for him. Remember, like, I know that because of our nature as God, and this is such a difficult Trinity conversation, but because of your nature as the father, you are holy. Mm -hmm. And so you actually can't be a part of that, you know, but remember what I did on the cross for him so that he yeah. could actually have relationship because his blood at the end of the day covers that as I yeah. walk in a lifestyle of repentance and humility. It's, it's our decision that separates us from God. So it's not God sending us to hell. That's not, that wasn't his design. His design was for us to be in relationship. We chose as humanity to separate ourselves. And so he sent his son as a sacrifice, as an opportunity, as a bridge for us to regain that relationship. Well, and I think that's an important distinction. And I think even just the conversation of hell is so important because I think there's a lot of really mid-century views of what hell is, right? And, mm -hmm. and we have these pictures of it. And, and hell ultimately is the eternal separation from God's presence that we chose to reject. So, so the way I, I, I picture it is God has done everything in his power to create opportunity for relationship for us, whether that be through creation and seeing just the awe and wonder of there has to be a great designer, whether that be through science and looking, going, man, look at, look at how complex the body is. Look how complex all these things are. And God's going, look, I'm, I'm revealing myself to creation, right? Whether it be through preachers and teachers, whether that be through evangelists, whether that be through grandmas and moms and dads, whatever the scenario is God has gone to great extent to reveal himself mm -hmm. and create opportunity for relationship. But our continual rejection of that relationship is what actually creates the separation and puts us in a spot where because we have rejected Christ and walked away from that, therefore we are going to spend eternity in separation from that. And, and some people are like, well, that's still cruel. Like, I, I didn't know, I didn't know. And I, and, and, and I think for me, it's actually the grace of God in, in reverse, I, I think if we look at it as cool, we're, we're almost missing the picture here because I think that just through a few, I've done a sermon called How Good Is Good Enough, right? Mm -hmm. A long time ago, we talked about this. I can't remember what the sermon titles were, but we talked about this idea of how good is good enough. And if if we don't have a God who says, here's, here's the bar. The bar is turn to me mm -hmm. and repent and ask for forgiveness of your sins mm -hmm. and embrace be embraced by me. If we don't have that as the bar, then the bar has to go to something. And the bar would naturally, humanity, go to acts, right? It would go right. to, you know, what have I done? It would be a tallying system, kind of like in school, right? Did I do enough of my homework to get a passing grade? Did I, did I study hard enough mm. to get a passing grade? Like, did, did I do enough good deeds yeah. to be able to make it. And, and therefore, we would be in this constant scenario, I believe, of you would never actually have assurance 
of that relationship. You would never have that ability to be like, okay, yeah, I did it. You know, like I think of the certain religions that like they, they actually have a number that says like there's only this many people are going to get to heaven. And then they had to do all these acts to get into heaven. They have to knock on doors on Saturday mornings uh, and they have to do a bunch oh, of stuff wow. and to get to earn their right into heaven. And then they earn their right into heaven. But then, you know, 10 decades later, somebody else has done a better job and they actually bump grandma out of heaven because they did better. Like it gets really complicated. Mm. Whereas I look and go, man, God creating this bar actually wasn't him being cruel. I mean, like, no, you know what? Your whole life comes down to one decision you make or your eternity. He's actually saying it's that simple. Mm-hmm. It really is that simple. It's not about how righteous you are. It's not about, you know, how many lambs did you kill? Because right. it's already been paid for. It's not about, you know, did you do enough good acts that outweigh your bad acts? Mm-hmm. It's did you embrace relationship with me? Yeah, that's, that's it. Every action has a reaction, right? Every choice we make has a consequence, whether that's good or bad. And so I think, I think that, you know, John and I, we shared our stories that we, we were saved at a young age. And, you know, there's, there's this thought that, um, you appreciate, you know, being rescued depending on the severity of that. Right. So if, if I'm at the beach and someone says, Hey, you know, you need to put some lotion on cause you're going to get burned. That's, that's one, you know, Mm. thanks. Great. With that pale Dutch skin. But if I get, you know, pulled out of a burning building and I'm unconscious and like Mm. someone saves my life and that person dies in that building, Mm. that building collapses. Right. That's, that's so much more appreciation, right? Like, you know, my, that act I would appreciate so much more. And so, you know, there's this fallacy that, you know, I live a good life. Why do I need salvation? I think that that's sure. something that maybe we should wrestle here. Why do, why do I need salvation? I'm, mm-hmm. I've never murdered. I've never cheated on my wife. I've, ne- I've never done all these things. Um, but the reality is we are all human. We are all conditioned to sin. And so we all need a Savior. And this is... I- the crux of so many of our issues and conversations in 2021 and the 21st century. And this is something that's been happening a lot more than just in the last year as we've been growing towards her, but it's this idea of subjective truth. It's the mm. idea of allowing your theology to really be formed by your experience and then going digging in scripture to kind of match what you feel, right? The statement like, well, that just sounds cruel. It's like, okay. And your point being, right? Like, like literally, it's like, well, how could a loving God? It's like, okay, well, have you read scripture? Have you allowed your thoughts to be formulated by? Because when I read scripture, I meet a loving, gracious father who, who has a heart for me, who has a purpose for me. I love what you say. The Bible is a love story. It's God's love story mm-hmm. to us, right? But who is really honest with us, yeah. right? And, and genuinely, I've learned as a parent, we're talking about having kids, like, I've learned that if I actually love my children, I will be honest with them, right? Like this morning, I'm taking my daughter, Joelle, to school, who has lost three pairs of gloves this week alone. And, and she's, she, like, it was like spitting this morning as we're walking to school. And she's like, Dad, like, I need, I need you to leave my umbrella with me today because like I don't know maybe I'll go outside I'm like first off it's raining you're not going outside for recess come on take it easy secondly uh and I just looked at her I was like I don't trust that you're not going to lose this umbrella (laughs) and I'm just like right because you've lost three pairs of gloves this week and like I'm not just going to keep going and getting you new pairs of gloves like the ones that are on your hands right now they're Dollarama gloves because that's what you deserve um no like but but it's like 
If I love her, I will be honest with her. I'm not just going to keep giving her new pairs of gloves or let her grab her umbrella or all these kind of things. It's like, no, I'm going to be honest with you, baby. Like, I'm walking you to school with an umbrella over you. I'm taking this umbrella with me back to the car because it's not going to get lost, right? Like, I would way rather have a relationship with a God who is honest with me mm-hmm. and tells me it how it is. I do want right? to bring a distinction, though, because I, I don't believe that hell is necessarily a punishment, Sure. It, it's, a, it's, a it's a reality of your rejection, right? So I, that, right. just the distinction between right. what you're saying with Joel, people can misinterpret saying, oh, so are you saying that God intentionally isn't giving me the set of gloves or because mm-hmm. he doesn't trust me or he's, he's punishing me for my choices? Mm. And I really, and I think there's a lot of Christianity that thinks that way. Right. And I'm trying to say, I, it, that's, not, that's not what it is. Salvation isn't about, I'm this horrible person and, and I've been saved. It's, it's I've stepped out of a relationship and I'm being brought back into relationship, sure. right? It, the whole point is, is God created the Garden of Eden as a, as a literal picture um, of what eternity is supposed to be like. This beautiful connection of relationship mm-hmm. between man, creation, mm-hmm. and God, the creator, mm-hmm. right? And... What, what we're being saved from is an eternity of separation from that right. and instead walking into this reality of I get to spend eternity mm-hmm. in relationship with the one who loves me more than we can ever understand about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to what you're saying, John Jonathan, that I think is so important, JB, is, is, is like this concept rises up all the time. Well, I'm a good person. Yeah. Shouldn't yeah. I just be let in? Yeah. And what I'm trying to say is, is although I see the merit in who you are as a good person, but how yeah. good is good enough? Yeah. Right. Yeah, 10 out of 10. And, and you're looking for this objective reality of like, here's my checklist that I can mark off. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult tension that we wrestle, right? You brought up Romans chapter 3, right? Which would say the wages of sin is death. Right. So what we're saying is the reality of sin is death. I mean, some other people might say the punishment for sin is death, Yeah. right? And so um, we, I think in our own kind of experience, like to see God as the executioner, the judge and the jury, all of the above, congratulations. He's just going to fill out the punishment and he's, he's looking forward to it. He's like rubbing his hands, like, Oh, give me a reason. Let's do this. Right. And in reality, it actually breaks the father's heart when we accept the reality of our sin. Yeah. And when, and when we, we don't actually take him on the opportunity to have a relationship with him, he wants that so badly and so deeply for us, but he can't deny who he is. So right? as a parent, so I, I'm now in a little bit different stage than you guys. I still have a toddler, right? So <laughs> I, I'm with you and the toddler, and then I've nice. got you know the preteen, and, but I have teenagers, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, man, if you're a parent of a teenager, you understand you, there's just certain things at some point you can't force, right? I can coach, sure. I can guide, I can lead, but I have to go, dude, it's yours to learn, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to speed, you're going to get caught and you're going to get a ticket or you may even get in an accident and therefore lose your vehicle, whatever. But I can only coach you in that because mm-hmm. at some point you're going to be in the car by yourself and you get to choose if you're going to speed. The way I view it is we have this view that when when you know your son gets a speeding ticket and he comes home or your daughter gets a speeding ticket and they come home, that dad's like, see, I told you, you are a horrible person. I'm taking your car away. I'm doing that's not how it is. It's actually when they come home, they're like, hey, I got a speeding ticket. And it's like, you know that your insurance is going to skyrocket now, right? You know that because of that, you may not be able to have your car on the road. My heart actually breaks for you mm-hmm. because you didn't mm-hmm. have to make that choice. And that was that choice of speeding worth the consequence that you're, you now have to embrace. I didn't force you to make that choice. You chose it. 
I'm not punishing you. Reality is these are the consequences of what you've done. But my heart actually breaks for you as I watch you now jumping on the school bus rather than getting to drive your car. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, my son has not speed, sped yet. He doesn't have his license sure. yet. But the concept We're looking is, at you, Tyler right? Price. Right? But, like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, it's such a different approach of, like, man, like, dad's going to kill me to dad's going to be heartbroken for me. Yeah, I, I think there's this misconception that God is this vengeful God that is like causing earthquakes or causing you know people to die. Or well, there's actually diagnosed. horrible people that say you know you know pastors would be like yeah you know the tsunami that hit New Orleans because New Orleans is a place of sin. What? That's horrible. Right. Yeah, God is not this vengeful God. It's you know we as humans are conditioned to sin. It's it's in our We're nature. Predetermined towards it. Yeah. We predisposed. We have. Uh, we we do a really good job at messing things up, right? I'm very <laughs> you know, good. He he had a perfect design and we failed it. I, I love what it says in Ephesians 2. It says, it wasn't long ago that you lived in religion, customs, and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like everyone else. And this is my favorite verse. But God still loved us with such great love. He's so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us in the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Mm-hmm. Grace is undeserved, right? Undeserved. If that right. verse, if that scripture doesn't, you know, develop a sense of appreciation and excitement for what mm-hmm. God has done in your life, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of how much you've sinned or how little you've sinned, right. you know, we were conditioned to death, but God, in his mercy, demonstrated love and the ultimate sacrifice of his mm. son. Oh, those but God statements. But and, God. But God. I love, I, yeah, I love the whole sermon on but God. How big is your butt? But anyways, um, <laughs> the, the, the concept, and we've got to move on. Um, what I think is so important here is, is this, is that the whole Bible is this picture being painted of God created, man rejected that creation, God stepped in and brought about restoration for relationship. Mm-hmm. And if we choose to accept that, which is Jesus Christ, if we choose to accept that, we can be brought into good standing, good relationship with God and spend eternity with him in his intended plan. Yeah. If we choose to reject that, then we are separating ourselves from relationship and spend eternity in separation from relationship. Really important to say that I really want to hear is two things. One, my salvation is not dependent on my lifestyle. Mm. My salvation is dependent on my repentance and leaning towards Jesus. Generally, repentance and leaning towards Jesus changes my lifestyle because true repentance brings about transformation. But we get it twisted sometimes that we think that our lifestyle is what earns us right sitting with God. Mm -hmm. It's our repentance and our turning of our heart towards Christ because that's the grace. I don't deserve it. I'm a broken individual. I have failed. I'm horrible. In me is nothing good, mm-hmm. but God has stepped in and I repent and I turn towards him. The second thing is, is I want to be really careful too that to be able to really state is, 
is I see a lot of people make that initial decision, like the, at that church event, they raise their hand, like I choose Jesus. And then, you know, life goes its way and they choose sin. And then they're like, oh, well, I guess my choice for Jesus wasn't real. God's mad at me now because I abused him or I took advantage or I was sloppy with the grace or any of these kind of languages. The reality is Christ's grace is always available to us. So, so this idea that we can fall out of grace with God is real by a continual rejection of who he is. But at any point, all we have to do is come back to repentance and turning. So whether it be I received Jesus at seven years old and, and got saved at seven years old, yeah. and then I lived for God till I was 21, and then at 21, I rejected God with everything I had and walked in full rebellion, but at 28, I came back to Christ and, and stepped back in, that God's still there, right? Yeah. Like anytime that we walk mm -hmm. away from Christ, anytime we fail, anytime we enter into brokenness, anytime we let our mindsets, our, our, our methods turn in a way that's against who Christ wants, mm -hmm. we can turn back to him that's right. and ask Christ, God, would you forgive me? Would you bring me back into relationship with you? That generally creates a heart change. That generally creates a, a, a lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. Generally, it goes there. The drug addict who's crying out for God maybe doesn't turn today in like one prayer and then he's set free from drugs. But over a course of season, as God's working on his heart and bringing healing, you see a transformation that takes place. Right, so I just want to be careful because sometimes there's these ideas that like, oh, well, I chose Jesus, I'm good forever, and it doesn't matter how I live because I'm under God's grace. And then there's these ideas as well of like, I chose Jesus, but then I failed him, and so now God doesn't love me anymore because I abused that scenario. Mm -hmm. And the whole concept is, no matter how righteous you live, how good, pure, and holy you live, mm -hmm. or how not holy you live and broken and whatever, all you have to do is turn to Christ, repent. Turned your heart towards him, your mind towards him, and then receive his grace, and you'll be brought back into relationship with him. I'd love for you to lay out for anyone who's watching who is is willing to take make that decision. What what steps do they need to do to accept Christ into their life or receive that salvation? What, yeah. what, what does that look for like? For sure. Great way to end off the, the episode today. If you have been watching and maybe someone sent this to you because you've had questions about Christ or you've been in a legalistic environment or you've walked away from God, you've been hurt, whatever the scenario is, here's the reality. Christ loves you. God loves you. You're so important to him. So important to him that while you were still a sinner, before you were even created, God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that you can have this opportunity for the forgiveness of your sins, the separation of relationship, and you can be brought back into relationship with Christ through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's really simple, but it's also really profound. It's really just simply turning to Christ and saying, God, I recognize today that I am broken. No matter how good my life is on the outside, no matter how good deeds I do, I'm broken because naturally I'm bent towards wrong. Naturally I'm bent towards brokenness and sin. And those things separate me from you. And so God, today I come before you and I ask for forgiveness of my sin. I ask for forgiveness of my brokenness. I ask for forgiveness of the separation that's happened in my life from you. And I believe in you and I ask that you forgive me. I ask that you set me free. I ask that you turn my heart towards you and say, God, I want to start my journey with you. We talked about it, you know, Christ's salvation is not a destination. It is a journey. Mm -hmm. I want to start my journey, my lifelong journey towards you and learning what it means to walk in relationship with you. And can I tell you today, just being because you're a Christ follower doesn't mean that your life is simple. It doesn't. Lots of horrible things happen to followers of Christ. 
people who are followers of Christ experience cancer, experience hardship and heartaches and financial problems. But what it does mean is I no longer face these things on my own. Mm -hmm. I face them in relationship with Jesus, whose grace is sufficient, whose power is there, and who operates from a position of victory. And I can lean into Christ in the middle of those crises and allow him to shape me. And this is where the relationship actually matters. In the simplest of terms, I want my kids, when they come into a bad situation and do something wrong, not to be, if my kid crashed a car, not to be like, oh goodness, I can't call dad, he's going to kill me. I want the relationship to be like, oh man, I need my dad right now. I got to call him. Yeah. And that's how it is with God. He doesn't want us to be like, oh man, God's going to be out to get me. He's going to kill me. He wants us that when we feel difficult times, we'd go, God, Father, would you enter into this situation? Mm. Would you breathe life and relationship? Would you help me in the name of Jesus? And so that's our heartbeats. That's our goal. That's why we exist as a church is to can that message to let people know that you don't have to be super religious and act in a certain way. You are hurting. You're broken. You don't have to do it on your own. You can have a relationship with Christ and he will meet you where you're at. That's Thanks so much for checking us out. Thanks for being with us today. I hope this was valuable. Please, if you are thinking that this actually, this conversation would be great for somebody, would you DM it to them? Would you send it to them, email it to them, send them the link because we want to see people's lives not be stuck at a level where they're constantly trying and trying to make it happen, but to be in a position where they can experience the fullness of who God is. Thanks for being with us and can't wait to catch you next time on The Couches.